This is VLX Video Lexio Divina, number 96, What Defiles a Person. We are in Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. God give you his peace, in nome Patris Sifidi, Spiritu Santi, Amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nome Patris Sifidi, Spiritu Santi, Amen. And he called the people to him and said, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So, Merry Christmas Octave and a Happy New Year to you. You know, the imaginative way is going to be a little bit more hidden in the study that we do in the future because you probably know how to do it or not by now. Now, I'm not abandoning the people who are going to do the Ignatian way of prayer, but I do believe the study way of Lexio Divina is going to flow more naturally into the Ignatian way than vice versa. So if I sound a little bit heavy on the apophatic way, that's the Lexio Divina, the study way, and a little bit light on the cataphatic way, that's the way of using your imagination, like taught to us by St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Teresa of Avila, it's just because you imagine if people, you're good enough by now um, to just use the study method flowing into the imaginative way. I'll still try to pepper it in there quite a bit, um, but I really think that me giving the study is going to be enough um, for you to probably be able to do both. Okay, so today is VLX 96. It's been a couple weeks. So I do want to give a little recap of VLX 95, where we left off in the first part of Matthew 15. If you remember, um, the last thing that we saw was this moral standoff between the Pharisees and Jesus on the law. What really is the law? Well, the Pharisees were promoting these new random rules, and Christ is promoting the same Ten Commandments he did on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai to Moses. And why do I say Jesus gave these to Moses? Because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, he is God. So he literally gave the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. God the Father gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. God the Son gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And God the Holy Spirit gave the Ten Commandments to to Moses. Uh, So really, what we have in the beginning of Matthew 15, and this is going to really dovetail or really flow into what we are dealing with today, um, this is a standoff of random rules of the canon lawyers of the first century versus the Ten Commandments that came hundreds of years before that. Now, there really shouldn't be a conflict in the first century, and there really shouldn't be a conflict among Catholics today between, you know, I joke, but I'm serious, scribe means canon lawyer in the first century. There really shouldn't be any conflict between divine revelation and canon law. Um, But when things get bad, like it was in the first century or now, we have to prioritize the Ten Commandments above those who would tell us that we should subvert the Ten Commandments according to little legal loopholes of canon law. Okay. Now, 
Jesus had to face this on the fourth commandment. We looked at the Korban example last time, and that is why that's how the Pharisees they're getting rich. Well, their parents, the Pharisees' parents were basically starving or at least very, very poor. Well, how do the Pharisees get away with this? Well, they claim this little legal loophole called Korban on the fourth commandment that this was actually good for them and their parents. Um, I gave that whole priest golfing analogy in the last one. Well, Jesus shows that these legal, these legal loopholes that the Pharisees are playing, um, this pulls them away from the Ten Commandments and it endangers their salvation. You know, if I had to summarize Jesus's message to the Pharisees in just five words, it would be, stop playing games with God. Stop playing games with God. And just as he recognized the religious authorities of his day as real authorities, so I, I personally believe, you don't have to believe this, but I think if Jesus walked the planet today, of course he would recognize the bishops as the authentic religious authorities. But, but I suspect his message would be the same. Stop playing games with God. Okay, well, this continues today on the Pharisees missing the forest for the trees in their hand-washing while missing the fact that they have this evil will and this evil heart. Um, and so Christ, today what we're going to see is he puts the emphasis on the heart being clean, not the hands being clean. Now we're going to see from Father Lapide, there's no problem with religious rituals of washing your hands. But here's the thing to listen for really closely today. It's a problem if you're worried about your hands being clean, but your heart is filthy or full of hatred. So let's look at what happens today. Jesus calls people to him today and he says, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. We'll come back to the importance of memorization, but I'm really going to suggest later today that everyone memorize that um, as something that will lead probably into a New Year's resolution that I'm going to suggest. Listen to that again. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Or the Dewey Rhymes Bible actually more accurately uses the term man instead of person, since anthropos in Greek is man. But remember, man includes the universal man that includes men and women. So the Dewey Rhymes Bible reads, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but what cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. So really think about it. We've heard all these phrases, and again, we, we chalk this up to imaginary Bible land, but this is an extremely extreme phrase, if I can use those two words. This Jesus is using a really shocking, uh, not using, he's telling us a very shocking commandment because just think of the last thing you pulled out of the fridge that was moldy. Would, would that get you sick? Christ is saying, Gossip will get you more sick by these sins coming out of your mouth than if you put the last moldy thing you found in your fridge into your mouth. That's really radical. That's really extreme that he's saying. But he means it, and I believe him. How is this possible? Well, one example, gossip. Gossip comes out. Moldy food goes in. Gossip's going to hurt your soul more than moldy food even food going in, even going in. And then notice that the... Um, ESV and the DRB, they both accurately translate the Greek of koinoo as I defile. Um, so I suggest maybe you memorize this phrase. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And then the next line, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? 
Now, the Greek there for offended is scandalized, uh, but I don't fault the English Standard Version for translating it as offended. Because remember, in English, scandalize means to lead to sin or be offended. It doesn't have to be both. It can be either of those. Scandalize means to lead someone to sin or to make them be offended. So the Pharisees are offended that Christ is putting Moses' law ahead of their law. Now, usually Christ tries to win them over. But here, today, we hear something we have never heard, at least that I can remember, up to this point. Christ then says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, we've never heard Christ say, Leave them alone up until today. And that's a real judgment on their heads because we've had 15 chapters of Matthew in this VLX section so far, and they're still not converting. Now it almost seems like Christ is looking to protect his own flock from these Pharisees instead of converting them. We, to my remembrance, we've never heard Jesus say, leave them alone. That is quite a judgment on the Pharisees' head. Now remember, Jesus just called them plants, but the fact that they're plants not planted by his Father, does this suggest double predestination? Remember, we talked about this on a previous VLX, uh, that double predestination is this Calvinist heresy, this notion, false notion, by the way, that God wound up from conception or before con conception, certain people for heaven, and then God has wound up from conception or before conception, other people for hell. It's a very dark view of God, and it's actually a view of humanity that allows no free will. Well, Father Lapide saw just the beginnings of the errors of Calvin when he wrote this book, around the year 1600. So he simply writes here, quote, Christ understands here perverse men, namely the scribes and the Pharisees, who have made themselves bad plants by their own will, and hence are to be cut down and cast into the fire of hell, end quote. So notice there again, these Pharisees, they made themselves bad plants. That's exactly the words of uh, Father Lapide. So in other words, God makes nobody a bad egg from the start. Uh, you can choose to make yourself a bad plant worthy of hell, or you can choose the grace of Jesus Christ to spend all of eternity in heaven with him. But to do that, we have to follow his law, the Ten Commandments, as I said at the beginning of this podcast. Not random rules. We need to follow divine law, the Ten Commandments. Not things made up by religious authorities of a certain time, who, by the way, are rarely following the Ten Commandments. Um... You know, in fact, it's the job of us clergy. I'm a Catholic priest. It's, it's our job to transmit the, do, the, the deposit of the faith, not make up a new deposit of the faith like so many people think is permitted. And then, by the way, the people who make up the random rules, they demand tyrannical obedience. Oh, sound familiar? We're right in the first century again. But look at that last line uh, today. We hear about sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Now, let's talk about 20, 21st century here. You know that holy, holy water gets rid of demons. Did you know that? But our holy water fonts were replaced by hand sanitizer. We're really living in the first century, uh, at least with first century religious leaders. That It's amazing. I mean, talk about hands being clean instead of watching out for your spiritual life. We're living the whole thing again. Um, you know, Pope St. Gregory the Great, and uh, Father Lapide quotes it exactly on this section. Pope St. Gregory the Great wrote in the 7th century, and this is quoted by Lapide, who saw this art in the 17th century. He wrote, If offense be taken at the truth, it is better to permit scandal to arise than for the truth to be abandoned. 
Pope St. Gregory the Great of Truth. If, a, if offense be taken at the truth, it is better to permit scandal to arise than for the truth to be abandoned. Now, how would I apply that in the 21st century? I would say, well, it's better for your friends to take offense at you speaking common sense against, say, mass delusions than for you to forsake the truth. Or it's better for your family to call you a schismatic or a conspiracy theorist than for you to forsake the truth of the true religion or database science than to appease people for a false peace. A false peace that, by the way, will not last very long. Okay, let's get back to the Bible. Next, Peter says to Christ, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Now, this might seem a little harsh on Peter, but Lapidy points out that Christ already taught all this stuff in Matthew 5 and 6, and already Peter forgot. So Jesus gives him a little spiritual rap on the shoulder for just being so dense. Um, but you know, like I said, Jesus is like a good coach with a rap on his shoulder, not bringing shame. But yeah, he does bring a little bit of guilt because, I mean, why was Peter not listening? You know, so he does get a little spiritual rap on the, on the shoulder there. Okay, now, Jesus' next line is very physical. It's, it's even a little gritty. Um, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? That's the English Standard Version, but the ESV doesn't include the word toilet in there. And literally, there in verse 17, the word toilet is literally there. It's aphedroma in Greek. Aphedroma. And the the Dewey Rhymes Bible does have it. It actually uses that cute little term of privy. Um, but the connecting verb there is ekbalitai, which means eject. <laughs> so Christ is talking about things being ejected into the toilet. Not my words. These are Christ's words. So sorry if your kids are laughing at that. But our Savior's making a really important point here that is summarized by Lapide. And he's quoting uh, St. Jerome here. Father Lapide says, Learn here how despicable are the charms, luxuries, and pleasures of the taste and the gullet, since they immediately go into the dirty stomach, which corrupts them and changes them into filthy feces so abominable that no one can stand seeing, touching, or smelling them, but cast them into the latrine. Therefore, do not be concerned about how costly are the foods with which you can make manure, says St. Jerome. No wonder I was... I took his middle name. That's my middle name. Therefore, do not be concerned about how costly are the foods with which you make manure, says St. Jerome. Now, in one sense, we might be able to look at that and say, okay, so, you know, a McDonald's cheeseburger versus a, a plate of caviar. Yeah, they're both going to be this filthy mess in your stomach in 20 minutes. So why eat expensive food that's going to come out the same as cheap food in less than 24 hours? But if St. Jerome were alive today, he'd also recognize that McDonald's cheeseburgers are not worthy food for the temple of the Holy Ghost, and we have to keep that in mind, too, uh, that we live in this world that's trying to pump us full of chemicals and grease purposefully to control us. And that's not freedom in Christ. Do you know Americans spend less of their income on food than almost anywhere in the world, percentage-wise? We spend less percentage of our, of our income on food than anywhere else in the world. Now, that might be surprising because we're fatter than the rest of the world, but why is that? Well, because we're unwilling to purchase natural foods instead of, um, well, we, we purchase artificial foods instead of natural foods because we spend our money on other pleasures. So I hate to say it, but I think that if there were saints alive today, they would probably avoid processed foods, even if the natural stuff costs more. I'm not a saint. I don't live up to that. You can pray I get cooking time into my schedule more. But St. Jerome was just saying that expensive food and cheap food Expensive food and cheap food were both sufficient for keeping you alive in his day, 
But expensive food ran you the risk of eating well while others starved to death, and it's all going to end up this mess in 20 minutes anyway. Um, and we do have to consider the social justice aspect of this or the, the social Catholic, Catholic social teaching of this, that we have to be aware that um, if we're living on ex really expensive food while being able online or elsewhere to feed people who are starving, well, that's not going to bode well for our salvation. But the bigger point that Christ is making today, it actually isn't one of Catholic social teaching. Now, here's the big point. Sorry for that rambling thing. Try not to go off on those. Christ is making the point that it's the things going out of the body that will send you to hell, not the things going into the body. Listen to Matthew 15, 18 to 20, the last three verses of our VLX today, because they make this shockingly clear, as Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Again, think of that. Unwashed hands as a superstitions come right back to us in the 21st century. As I said earlier, holy water gets rid of demons, but our holy water fonts were replaced by hand sanitizer. But you know what? You guys, most of you are not priests or bishops, so you can't change that. So let's talk about what an amazing examination of conscience Christ just gave you. You see, it's clear from today's gospel that your heart is made dirty by seven sins especially, seven sins that Christ tells us today. This is almost like a cheat sheet for the final judgment here. So listen up closely because these are in some sense the, the seven things you're most likely to go to hell for. Jesus just named it. We have the cheat sheet for our particular general judgment. One, evil thoughts. Two, murder. Three, adultery. Four, sexual immorality. Five, theft. Six, false witness. And seven, slander. Now, you hear those, and we're talking about the issues of the heart, and this would be a really fair question for you to ask now, but how can I change my thoughts and my temptations? If you were to just look at that list and be like, well, Jesus doesn't want me to fix the outside of my body. He wants to fix my heart, and I have thoughts like that all the time. Am I going to go to hell? Well, no, you can't change your, your temptations, um, except for avoiding the occasion of sin. But here's the thing. We know that our actions come from words, and our words come from our thoughts, and our thoughts are the root of evil. So follow me here. Are we responsible for temptations? Sometimes, but not usually. What are we responsible for? Consent, mental consent. And that's what today's lesson is to do, is to stop immediately any tiny plant taking root in your heart or mind of evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Again, you cannot control temptations except for avoiding your occasion of sin because temptations are going to come as long as we're this side of the veil. But if you make a resolution to never mentally consent to those seven things, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander, then you'll probably never get to the point of committing those sins in word or action again. And that's why Christ says all those sins start in the heart long before they're lived out in gossip or immorality or white-collar crime or shoplifting or whatever. Again, a thought entertaining you is not a sin, but when you entertain it, it starts to become a sin. And then that mental consent greases the skids for the coming sins of speech and action. This is why I love the prayer of the Desert Father, St. Ephraim. I'll link this in the show notes because it tackles desires before it gets to actions. In some sense, once we're sinning in our actions, it's a little too late, you know? We gotta nip it in the bud in the desires and our thoughts and in the very part of our heart. This is, this is Jesus' main message to the Pharisees and just the basic blue-collar Jews around him is you guys are missing. You're all worried about the outside. What's gonna send you to hell is what's in your heart. Well, how can I change what's in my heart? This is a great prayer from St. Ephraim. He says, O Lord and Master of my life, 
Take from me the spirit of sloth, despair, lust of power, and idle talk. Idle talk. But give rather the spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love to thy servant. Yes, O Lord and King, grant me to see my own transgressions and not to judge my brother. For blessed are thou unto ages of ages. Amen. Again, I'll link that uh, prayer of St. Ephraim in the show notes. Now, real quick diversion. Notice that the church does not prohibit hand washings um, or fastings. You know, in the traditional Latin Mass that I offer, we do have two ritual hand washings. One is before Mass, starting with Damiki Domine, and I have a regular sink in my little condo hermitage, which is right there, where that takes place. And then the other one takes place at Mass, and that's the Lavabo into Innocentis. And I have a little table behind this screen from Home Depot, which is my uh, cruet table, and I pray that during Mass. So ritual hand washing is not a problem. In fact, Father Lapide writes on page 83, Christ does not find fault with the action of washing the hands before meals considered in, it, in itself. Christ does not find fault with the action of washing the hands before meals considered in itself. Okay, but what Christ does not want is for rituals to become superstitious or for rituals to putatively take the place of a heart full of charity to one's neighbor, which is obviously something Pharisees failed so miserably in. Now, as far as fasting, Father Lapide wrote on page 79, he said, For the church does not forbid flesh on fast days because flesh, or meat, is evil in itself, but with the object of restraining gluttony and dissipation and of exercising penance and obedience. If, therefore, anyone eats meat on a fast day, he does not sin on account of the flesh, but because that disobedience and intemperance in eating defile his soul. So notice why we as Catholics still have to keep the fast day. We can't listen to today's gospel and follow the pathway of Martin Luther and say, oh, then we don't have to fast at all. No. When we, if we were to eat, eat meat on a Friday, then that fulfills what Father Lapide said here. This is disobedience and intemperance, and therefore it is sin. So we're not trashing uh, all fasting or hand washing. We just have to get the heart, the matters of the heart down here um, first. Now, I have a little more for both the uh, study way of prayer and the imaginative way of prayer. So, Lexio Divina people, don't leave us yet. But I do want to jump into what I'm going to suggest for the imaginative way of prayer. So, folks, here's, here's my prayer I'm going to lead you through. It's a little bit closer to the um, St. Ignatius, uh, one of the meditations of Ignatius that, that does not include Jesus before your face. And that's okay because a bunch of his meditations just include meditations on sin where you don't necessarily have to see the face of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to think of the last five people you gossiped about. Think of one sentence for five people that you gossiped about and each of those sentences, link that visually to a type of food. I don't know. The one person you gossiped about is maybe a chili relleno. Another is is a, uh, a hamburger. And this comes out of your mouth, whether it's just you spit it out or it comes out magically and it's full or it's vomit, whatever. Imagine putting that into a Ziploc bag. Take that Ziploc bag with that chili relleno or that burger. Put it behind your couch for a year. Now picture, what is that going to look like? Something you spit out of your mouth um, in a year. Every word we speak of someone that's negative will have to eat at the general judgment, figuratively. But it will be worse than eating rotten food. So imagine, as you open it, the mold and the maggots and bacteria on this food you spit up in a Ziploc behind a couch for a home in your home for a year. Would eating that defile your body? Of course, of course you would get sick. But Jesus was not exaggerating when he said today, 
It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. How strong of an admonition is that right there? If we were to be as careful about what comes out of our mouth as what comes in, what defiles us, we would probably never speak bad of anybody. And he wasn't exaggerating. He really means that our gossip about people harms me. My gossip of someone harms me more than it harms them. And again, I know this is kind of a gross and graphic imaginative prayer, but as I said, even the uh, exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have certain meditations where we do not see the face of Jesus or Mary, only our sins and the effects of those. So I did use some artistic license there, but try it out. And you, you may not want to uh, be gossiping and saying negative things about people if you actually pictured how ugly this is to God. Let's talk um, New Year's resolutions. And even if um, we're past New Year's, when you're listening to this, um, maybe the people who aren't listening in real time, which, which is about half of you, which is great, that's fine. But we'll just talk resolutions then. Here's the two resolutions I'm really going to suggest for this uh, BLX. One, memorize this line. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And two, make the resolution to speak bad of no one unless safety is involved. Before I made this podcast, I wrote that on a uh, big dry erase board that a buddy just, just put up in my hermitage that I asked him to do. Um, I wrote that out literally on my dry erase board for my resolution to speak bad of no one unless safety is involved. Okay, now, last thing is just a few minutes long. I'm sorry we're going long on this one. I'll try to make these shorter in the future. Um, but some people might listen to today's VLX and say, okay, well, then why do the saints fast so much? Why were the saints so obsessed with physical mortification if today's VLX, if today's gospel is all about the heart and doesn't really put the emphasis on hand washings and external cleanness and even what we eat? This could be another argument Luther and friends use against Catholic saints who fast on like nothing. Like look at St. John Vianney. He lived on one potato a day maximum. Well, I could even build up the Lutheran argument even more. I would say... Um, if you look at how the Desert Fathers lived, they even had levels of how intense their fasting was. Is this not casuistics? Is this not earning your way to heaven? Is this not uh, putting the importance of the external and what goes into your mouth more important than what goes out? Well, I'm going to answer that in a minute, but I do want to read you um, the Church Fathers' seven levels of fasting in the desert. Now, I think this stuff is really cool, so I'm actually not ripping on this. We're going to see how this dovetails in a minute back to the importance of speech. Um, but the uh, Desert Fathers had seven different levels of fasting. And notice, as you listen to this, probably even the most mortified of you, the, the people of you, those of you who fast the most, probably barely made it to level B out of A through G. A through G is the seven levels that I'm going to read you on how the Holy Fathers considered the different levels of having mastered the body in this desert of Egypt 1,700 years ago. A, this is the first level, lowest level of fasting. These are carnivores who eat meat. That doesn't mean they only eat meat, but the description is they are the lowest degree of fasting. Even if they sometimes restrain themselves from food, they are never able to advance in prayer. So these are people who sometimes eat, eat meat, and the Father said you can never advance in prayer as long as you have meat in your diet. Again, I'm not telling you all have to do this. I just mean this is, this is how intensely the Father has found fasting. B, remember we have levels A through G, so brace yourself because we're, we're going to get to G here. <laughs> B, B is the lacto-vegetarians who never eat meat but only milk, cheese, eggs, and all kinds of boiled vegetables. These are in the second degree of fasting, which is kept by monks in Chenobitic monasteries and very, very, and very rarely by laymen. 
C, vegetarians. These are those who eat only vegetables and boiled or raw legumes. The arrangement forms a third degree of fasting, and the most zealous monks of the common life keep it. D, the fruit eaters. The fruit eaters eat bread and un uncooked fruits once a day without otherwise ever tasting food. He who attains this degree of fasting is able to master his body and thoughts without difficulty and can advance rapidly on the path of prayer. Oh, but we're not at the top. This is not the top level of the Desert Father's fasting. E comes next. E is the cereal eaters. He's not talking lucky charms and stuff. These comprise the fifth degree of fasting. To this degree belongs monks, especially the Hescasts and desert dwellers who eat once a day only black bread, cereals, and soaked grains of wheat, corn, millet, lentils, beans, peas. So once a day, you're allowed a little thing of lentils. F. We're getting up to G. F. F is dry food. This is the sixth degree of monastic fasting, which is usually attained only by the most zealous desert dwellers. Those who live this harsh asceticism eat only dried bread soaked in water with salt or little vinegar once a day and by measure. This is how the Hesychasts of the Nile Valley lived. So again, that was F. They eat dried bread soaked in water with a little salt or vinegar just once a day. That's what these desert fathers, most of them lived on. Ah, but there's G. This is the pinnacle of what they all want to get to if they have enough humility. G is divine food or manna is the last and highest degree of monastic fasting, which is attained by very few ascetics after prolonged asceticism by strengthened grace of the Holy Spirit. These are satisfied with the most pure mysteries alone, that is, with the body and blood of Christ, which they receive only once or twice a week, without tasting anything else but water only, after difficult temptation and asceticism, and by the grace of God, I, whoever wrote this, I have, this isn't me, Father David Nick speaking, this is from a 4th century saint, I have come to be satisfied with the most pure mysteries alone and no longer feel hunger or have need of bread or vegetables. So the pinnacle that they want to get to is receiving Holy Communion twice a week and living on only water for the rest of the week. So if the Desert Fathers put all this emphasis on food going in, in and not words going out, well, then who do we listen to, the saints or Jesus? Because it seems like Jesus said uh, it, it's more important what comes out of your mouth than what goes in. Well, when you hear this next line from the Desert Fathers, you're going to understand how they believed you had to get Matthew 15 today down on the heart first before you thought of living on only the divine mysteries of the Eucharist. Ready for this? Listen to this quote. Abbot Hipparichius said, It is better to eat meat and drink wine than by detraction to devour the flesh of your brother. Read that again. Abbot Hipparichius said, It is better to eat meat and drink wine than by detraction to devour the flesh of your brother. So that shows you right there, you shouldn't even take up fasting if you're gossiping about people. That's the Desert Fathers. St. James said, This is, um, speech is really the mark of perfection. He said, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his own body. That's James 3, 2. So the fathers understood they had to bridle what they were saying about their brothers in the, in the monastery before they ever thought of taking on these intense fasts. So, New Year's res resolution, maybe. Maybe, yeah, stop the angry thoughts. Stop the detracting speech. Temptations come and go. Don't worry about temptations to anger. We all get those all the time. But the key is here, stopping consent. That's where we win the battle. You know, what if we treated, say, temptations to anger the same, same way we treated temptations to lust? 
we really should want to get rid of all such temptations immediately before they become consent. That's a key. And then, and only then, should we probably even think about fasting like the weakest of the desert fathers in this upcoming Lent. But we have to first get rid of gossip, strife, flirting, consent to angry thoughts first. These are the things that defile a person according to our Lord today. Please say, an hour, Father, for me that I may practice what I preach at benedictio deum nepotentis. Pace sefiri et spiritu sancti descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.